Well, here we are. The Christmas season is in full swing. And do you know what every Target store has just in time for the holidays? Extra help, that's for sure. But they have Chip and Joanna Gaines' new home decor line, Hearth in Hand. If Chip and Joanna is not a part of your family's vocabulary yet, they have a show called Fixer Upper, and it's a home remodeling show. It's a very popular show. Um, it's the show that people, that has people all over the country looking for shiplap and farmhouse tables, right? We have a pile of shiplap in our garage that we're going to use to put in our basement. So we got it for free. No big deal, but we're pretty pumped up about it. Um, so Hearth in Hand is their line, and I had to look up Hearth, by the way. I knew it had something to do with a fireplace, but I wasn't sure what. You all are probably much brighter than I am and probably know what a hearth is. But So the dictionary told me it's the floor of a fireplace that often extends out in front of the fireplace. But I'm not sure how uh, a floor of a fireplace and a hand work together you know, with the name hearth in hand. I'm not sure. I also found that hearth can also mean home. So it's another way that you can define it. So maybe hand decorating a home. I don't know. They should have came up with a better name, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. So is there anyone here that has any hearth in hand items on their Christmas list? I'm just curious if there's anybody at all. We've got one, one brave soul. All right. Now, I'm sure Mary probably wouldn't mind getting something from uh, that line. We, you know, we're, we're Chip and JoJo fans, and Mary more so than me. Um, but I'm sure if, if Joanna Gaines came strolling into our home, Mary's heart might start beating a little bit faster. Um, I know if they did, if, if they came to our church, I would be sure to have them over for lunch, and I would be sure to ask them, all right, what do we do in this room of our house? And what do we do in this room of our house? I would not let them get out of our house without uh, telling us what to do. But, uh, you know, we Americans, we just love celebrities. We, we just seem to be addicted to celebrities. We, were, we had a, ma a magic show at our last city serve, and the guy threw out several names and we were able to say the last name instantly. So if I said Brad, who would you say? Pitt, right? If I said, said uh, let's, let's, Michael, who do you think? We get a little confusion there. Michael, well, yeah, that, that could come in your mind too. Yeah, but so we just have these, we, we just love celebrities. It's just a part of our culture. Uh, Mary, she used to, Work out at, or not work out, she used to work at Glenmore, the Glenmore Hotel at Glenmore. And one day she had to take dry cleaning to Tiger Woods. And so she went and took the, the dry cleaning to him. And there was an empty pizza box outside of the Tiger Woods' room. And so Mary snatched the, the pizza box and to give to her brother Jeremy, who's a big golf fan and a, and a big golfer. And uh, I, I tried to figure out exactly what happened. I don't think he wanted it, and I don't blame him. But isn't that weird, right? Like, 
And Mary said, I should have sold it on eBay. And I agree, because we would be richer than what we are. Um, check this out. Britney Spears' chewing gum was listed on eBay in 2004, and, and it went for $14,000. A piece of gum. A jar, this is the best one. This cracked me up when I read this. So a jar supposedly holding Brad and Angelina Pitt's breath that was supposedly caught as they walked by on the red carpet that sold for $530 on eBay. Who is the fool that bought that jar? Justin Timberlake's half-eaten French toast sold for $3,154. Even, you know, it, even in our church world, we can make celeb- we make celebrities of people. Even in the Christian, uh, even in Christian circles and the Christian world, we just naturally gravitate towards the rich, the famous, the popular, the, the attractive. And it's extremely easy for us because it's the culture that we live in. It's, it's, it's extremely easy for us to start to believe that greatness is found in wealth. It's found in power. It's found in having influence over people. And it's found in being ultra-attractive ultra or really high-achieving. That the richer you become, the more influential you become... The more people that are following you on Twitter, the more people approve of you, the more attractive you become, the greater you are. And for that matter, the happier you'll be. And so this is the air we breathe. And if we're not careful, it's really easy for us to really believe this message, right? In our subconscious, we can really start to believe that this is the way to the happy life. That we're somebody, if, if, we're, if we have some of these things that our culture prizes so greatly. And if, you know, say we equate uh, greatness with being financially well off, well then our behavior is going to be driven by what's most advantageous financially. And we're going to fear losing our jobs or we're going to fear a downturn in our economy. If in, if, if in our subconscious we, we uh, equate achievements with greatness, then our behavior is going to be propelled by this desire to outdo the people around us because uh, we, will, we, we need that in order to feel good about ourselves and we're going to fear failing. If we equate greatness with attractiveness, then our behavior is going to center around staying fit, staying healthy. And we're going to have this fear that what if we lose our figure? And I could go on with examples. And so I want to ask you this morning, how do you define greatness? How do you define greatness? What is the measure of a great person? How would you answer that question? Who is great among you? Who would you single out? You know, what, what makes that person that you would single out great? What do you admire about them? I really enjoy uh, playing the guitar, and I love learning to play the guitar solos of these guitar players that I admire. 
and it's, a, it's embarrassing, but it's, it's true. Sometimes when I'm playing the guitar and I'm learning that particular gu- guitar solo, I, I daydream about being up on stage in front of thousands of adoring fans. And it's really easy, right, for us to get sidetracked. Like, that's where greatness is found. But is, is being able to play the guitar extremely well and being able to have thousands of adoring fans wanting to see you play, is that the sign of greatness? Is being ultra-skilled or successful or accomplished or attractive or popular or powerful, is that greatness? You know, Jesus, uh, his friends, his disciples had a similar discussion. And here's what Jesus told his disciples in Mark 9, 35. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. These words of Jesus are really similar to the words that he speaks in Matthew 20, 26 through 28. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, who are the great ones in God's eyes? Humble servants. That's who's great according to God. There are many things that Jesus could have emphasized in, in verse 28, about what made him great, because there's obviously tons of things that made Jesus great, but the thing that is emphasized in verse 28 is Jesus' humility that led to service. Uh, not too long ago, I, I spoke about humility, and, and I said that humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. It's a healthy self-forgetfulness. It, it, it doesn't demand your rights and your privileges, and it's okay with being second. It loves to see others succeed. It loves to serve in secret if it can. You know, it's, if you take away humility from Jesus... Of course, you would have power, you would have extreme wisdom, extreme knowledge, you know, the greatest knowledge, the greatest wisdom, the greatest power, but (laughs) there would have been no way that we would have a Savior. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus gave up his rights as God, and he was willing to subject himself to the limitations of being a human being. And there is absolutely no way he would have done that if at, if at his heart, in his heart, in his heart of hearts, there wasn't humility. And there is absolutely no way he would have went beyond becoming a human being and actually died in the most horrible ways imaginable through crucifixion. 
Jesus' humility is our salvation. Jesus' humility is our exaltation. Because Jesus was willing to stoop low and come and be among us. It's the, it's the whole reason that he is able to, we're able to be lifted high. It, you know, this really separates Christianity from all the main religions of the world. The main religions of the world tell you that, hey, you need to get rid of your weakness. You need to work really hard. You need to work yourself up to God. Christianity teaches, no, God came to us. He came to us. So this new sermon series that we are going to be journeying through during this month of December is called Humble Christmas. And we're going to be looking at different aspects of Jesus' humility with each week. And one thing that the video that the kids did that actually Hannah put together, which she did a fantastic job, and the kids are just, I could just listen to them all day. I told Mary after the video, I just want to talk to Drake just, just for hours at a time and just see what he says to me. And I love Cooper's facial expressions. They're fantastic. But when you think of the first Christmas, there was no pomp, there was no band, you know, there were no droves of people. It was just this humble beginning, this humble start out in kind of, you know, the middle of nowhere in this little town of Bethlehem, and it was shepherds of the despised who heard about it, and it was... It was humble. This morning, I want to go even a step even further back in time, and I want to look at Jesus' humble roots with all of you this morning, because I think there's a lot of good lessons for us as we look at Jesus' humble roots. But let me just say this, because this is the description that, I, that we have for this sermon series. It's this. In a world obsessed with fame, with attaining the applause and approval of others, we need the Christmas story to remind us of a better way. We need to be reminded that the King of Kings came to a stable born of a young mother from a small town, that he, his was a birth announced to mere shepherds and overlooked by the multitude. We need to be reminded that our king is a humble king who chooses to reveal himself to humble people. We need the story of Christmas to show us again how true greatness is found in hidden places in unseen people, how true greatness is found in humility. So for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to focus on Jesus' humble roots. We're going to be focused uh, on Matthew chapter 1, and so you can Find that in your Bible if you want to. Of course, the verses are going to be on the screen. But let me pray, and then we'll uh, look at this, this passage. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. That although you're a great king, a mighty king, um, the smartest of kings, you're different than any other king because you're a humble king. Lord, we would not be sitting here today worshiping you if it wasn't for your willingness to come to us, to become a human being, 
to live a humble life and to die a very humble death. We thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, I pray as we think about your humble roots, that there would be something for us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would see just the enormous um, size of your grace towards us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Matthew 1, 1 through 17, if you've turned there, what you have found is a genealogy, right? And uh, I just wonder, even for you faithful Bible readers, when's the last time you read through a complete genealogy? Has anybody read through one of the genealogies in the Old Testament or in Luke or in Matthew here in the last six months without skipping any names at all. Anybody? Ooh, nice. Two, three? Three? Do we have more than three? I'm impressed. Has anybody read through the entire genealogy, one of the entire genealogies found in the Bible in the last year? Do we have, obviously we have three. Do we have any more than three? I mean, even for us faithful Bible readers, we have a tendency just to just skip it, right? It's, I mean, who wants to read a list of names that you can't pronounce? Like, that just makes you feel like a horrible reader, doesn't it? Like, who wants that, right? So what I do when I come to names I can't pronounce is I just have somebody else read for me. So we're going to have a British guy. I think his name is Don Smith. Even better. We're going to have Big Dave uh, read this passage for us. And pay attention because you're going to find that there is some really cool stuff in this genealogy. So don't fall asleep, all right? And you may find some really great baby names for you young couples that are going to still have more children. So, all right, Dave, take it away. Gospel according to Matthew. Is that the British guy? Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Aziah, Aziah, the father of Jophem, Jophem, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, 
and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Maphan, Maphan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. Thank you, Dave. I'll write him a thank you letter this week for being our guest reader. Um, so, is this important? Are all these names important? Uh, well, obviously, Matthew thought they were pretty important and start off his gospel in, you know, with, the, with this list. Um, and you need to know that genealogies were extremely important, especially in ancient times. Um, genealogies were a way of kind of organizing society. So based on your family lineage, you, that would tell you who you hung out with, who you could marry, what your inheritance was, what land you could live on. So it was really important that you knew who you had come from. And, you know, today it's different. You know, a lot of us don't even know, like, who our great-great-great-grandparents were or what they did, but it was totally different back in ancient times. So, um, you know, it's a good thing that our society doesn't determine your standing by your genealogy, because I don't know about you guys, but I, I had some really shady characters um, in my family tree. One, not too long ago, was a racketeer back in the 20s, I think, and actually, I read the newspaper article, thanks to Holly Curzon, who I saw this morning, but um, he was shot and killed by the mafia, and so I'm just glad that uh, I didn't get into that family, family business. So I'll, I'll take this over the mafia. But it really, your genealogy, it determined your worth, it determined what you could be. And so what people would often do back in the ancient times is they would omit people out of their genealogy because your genealogy was essentially like your resume, right? And people do that with their resume today, right? They, they, they only tell you how great they are in their resume. When's the last time you picked up a resume and saw a whole section of, of weaknesses listed, right? That, so we omit the, 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 the worst parts of ourselves on our resumes. That's what they would do with genealogies sometimes. Uh, one pastor talks about how King Herod, who was the, the, the king of, uh, of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth, how he did this sort of thing. The, the pastor states, Herod, who was the king when Jesus was born, published his genealogy. But when he did, 
He expunged his record of all his embarrassing ancestors, so it looked like he came from a line of sheer awesomeness. And so, of course, he deserved to be king. So, if you're the, I mean, imagine you're the triune god of the universe, right? And you are deciding that you're going to become a human being. Now, you have your pick, right, of like what family line you're going to come and be a human in. I mean, would you pick, I mean, I would think I would pick like the smartest, the best looking, the most powerful, most influential family that I, you know, was on the face of planet Earth. But what did God do? Well, let's look at it. So the first thing I want to point out is that Matthew makes sure that God, Jesus, you know, triune God, Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. So for those of you who may not know who Abraham was, he was the father of the nation of Israel, and he's the man who the Israelite people came from. And at the time of Matthew's writing, Israel was this small backwater Middle Eastern country that was under the rule of Rome. And Rome was not focused on Jesus' family line at all, right? They they were just so under the radar. They were insignificant. Um, And if God wanted Jesus to be a part of a wealthy, powerful family, he would have chosen Caesar's family not uh, Joseph's family, right? Not Abraham's family. So why was Jesus a descendant of Abraham? Why did God do it that way? Well, because God had made a promise to Abraham. You may remember the promise. The promise was that through Abraham's family, God would bring blessing to all the nations of the world. God had promised Abraham that. And so because God always keeps his promises, Jesus descends from Abraham because, and the reason why Matthew's making this connection, this link with Jesus and Abraham, is because he wants all his readers to see that Jesus is that descendant that was promised to Abraham that will bring blessing to all of the nations. And so we need to see that. Secondly, you'll notice in this genealogy, Matthew really emphasizes that Jesus is linked to King David. Now, God not only promised Abraham some things, but he also promised King David some things. King David was king of Israel, and he had made this promise to King David, God did, that a descendant of his would sit on King David's throne forever, and this descendant of his would have a kingdom that would be an everlasting kingdom. And so Matthew, in emphasizing that Jesus is a descendant of David, he's saying, look, Jesus is that promised king, that anointed king that God promised that will sit on the throne of David and whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. 
Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I can see how Jesus descending from Abraham and descending from the Israelite people who were kind of like this insignificant people at the time of Jesus' birth. I see how that's like considered humble, like humble roots. But being a descendant of King David, how is that humble? How is that humble roots? Well, here's the thing. Just as soon as King David became a great king and the nation of Israel really became a great nation back in Old Testament times, King David, he committed adultery. And he had the husband of the wife that he committed adultery with killed, murdered. And this really started a domino effect in David's family and in the nation of Israel that eventually led to the collapse of of David's kingdom. And it led to all kinds of pain and suffering in his family. And that's why uh, the genealogy says in verse 12 that the nation of Israel was eventually eaten up by the Babylonians. They had conquered um, the nation of Israel. And so, if you could pick to be born into anybody's family, would you pick to descend from a king that made a mess of a kingdom and a mess of a family? After all, I mean, you think about it, that would become your family. Third point I want to mention in terms of this genealogy is Jesus is a descendant of five women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Now, you need to know that it was extremely uncommon for women to be included in genealogies back in this time. They just weren't. The the family line was always traced through the males in the family, the fathers in the family. Why would Matthew list these women in this this genealogy? Well, I think it's because Matthew wanted to emphasize Jesus' humble roots. So let's look at these women, and uh, we'll see how this highlights Jesus' humble roots. So the first woman, Tamar, Let's look at her. What do we know about her? Well, Genesis 38 tells Tamar's story. And it's not the kind of story that you want to read to your kids um, really ever until they get older. Especially, don't, if you are just opening up the Bible, looking for a story to read your children before they go to bed at night, and you're just kind of doing that random thing, and you come across the heading, Judah and Tamar, just keep going. Because it's a crazy story. Tamar dressed up as a prostitute so that she could trick her father-in-law into sleeping with her so that she could become pregnant. It sounds like an episode of Jerry Springer, doesn't it? (laughs) Tamar was also, she was most likely a Canaanite. And if you know anything about the Canaanites, In the Old Testament, they were really wicked people. They worshipped a whole bunch of other gods, not the one true God, Yahweh, of, of the Bible. So that's what we know about Tamar. Here's what we know about Rahab. So Rahab, her story is in Joshua 2, another Old Testament lady. 
and uh, we know that she was a Gentile, and she also was a prostitute in Jericho. That's what we know about Rahab. And by the way, um, her being a Gentile, a Gentile is just a non-Jewish person, but by the time of Matthew's writing and the time of Jesus, the Jews really learned to just despise the Gentiles. Um, they regarded them as unclean. They considered it unlawful to really have like any kind of relationship with Gentile people. They viewed Gentiles as the enemies of God. Um, so Gentiles were just heathens in the minds of the Jews when, when Jesus was walking on earth. So, so far, we have prostitutes, Canaanites, Gentiles. The next woman that is mentioned is Ruth. Now, she wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't a Jew. She was a Moabite. Now, the Moabites, if you know anything about them, they worship the god of Kamash. And he was appeased by human sacrifice, even children's sacrifice. The next woman that is mentioned is Bathsheba. You know how I mentioned that King David had that affair? Well, Bathsheba was the woman that he had the affair with. And it was Bathsheba's husband who King David had murdered to cover up his sin. And Bathsheba was most likely a Hittite because she was married to Uriah the Hittite, who David had killed. And the Hittites, you know, they weren't Jewish people, and they didn't worship the Jewish God, um, and they were a problem for the Jewish people. And then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, she was Jewish, and she had great character, and, but she was such a humble person. She came from the podunk town of, of Nazareth. She most likely came from a poor family. She was most likely only a teenager. And she had this scandalous pregnancy where, um, you know, she was pregnant before wedlock. And she's, you know, so who did she sleep with? People are thinking if if. if Joseph wasn't the, the father of her child. You know, so it just, it was a messy situation. After reviewing the women in Jesus' geology, genealogy and his family, you probably don't feel so bad about your messed up family, do you? You're like, man, my family's kind of normal, I guess, after checking this out. Because we've got... We've got uh, 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 adulterers, we've got Canaanites, we've got Moabites, we've got Hittites, we've got prostitutes. It's craziness. Why didn't God prompt Matthew to talk about Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, the matriarchs of Israel, these great women that are in Jesus' family tree? We have moral outsiders, we, you know, adulterers and prostitutes. We have ethnic outsiders, gent Gentiles, and we have gender outsiders, women. Women weren't thought of very well in Jesus' time, a lot of times by Jewish men. So Jesus' genealogy connects him to Abraham, connects him to David, and to these woman, women. Why, what does this mean for us today in 2017? 
how does this apply to us today? Well, here's a couple thoughts and why this genealogy is so important. Basically, in this chapter, you have the gospel. In all these names, you have the gospel. The essentials of the gospel, that that Jesus is the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed king, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of King David, whose kingdom will never end, who will always sit on King David's throne, who will one day bring everything on planet Earth under his rule and reign. And check this out. This great king has come for the shameful, the outcasts, the outsiders, and the broken of the world. I think that's why Matthew has emphasized especially these women and even emphasized King David who was an adulterer. Jesus' genealogy proves he has come to rescue the least of these. Because there's two major roadblocks in coming to Jesus as your Savior. One is you are so screwed up and so messed up, so beyond God's forgiveness and grace, right? Your family's so messed up. You come from a messed up family, a broken family. You've screwed up in your life. You're extremely sinful. You're broken. You got, you're full of shame over the life you've lived. And that can be a roadblock into coming to Christ as Savior and Lord because you can feel as if you're beyond hope. You're beyond his grace. That your sin has run deeper than what God's grace runs. But I think the reason why Matthew has these ladies and these people in his genealogy is because Matthew wants his readers to understand, no, where your sin runs deep, God's grace in Christ runs deeper still. But you know what else? The King Davids of the world need to know this genealogy as well because they need to know Jesus as well. And they need to know that Jesus has come from the, for the King Davids of the world. The King Davids of the world, they're the ones, they're the, the, the attractive, the powerful, the wealthy, right? From They're great in the world's eyes, right? They have all those things working for them. They're the people that we often look up to and celebrate. Well, you know what? They have fallen, like David, they have fallen short of the glory of God. They are sinful. They need a Savior as well. But a roadblock for this person, the Davids of the world, is, hey, I've got it together. Yeah, maybe I have a little bit of sin in my life or whatever, but... You know, I'm doing fine. I'm independent. I don't need a savior. And so the, the Davids of the world need to see this as well, that they're, they're just as sinful as the next person and just in need, just in, in need of God's grace, just as much as King David was in need of God's grace. You know, another thought that, that strikes me about this genealogy, and I think another takeaway for us today is that God keeps his promises. 
Think about everything that God had to do to orchestrate Jesus' family line and tree just the way he did so that he would be a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of King David. It's phenomenal. God has made tremendous promises to us that he'll never leave nor forsake us, that he'll forgive us, that he'll always be there with us, that he'll help us, that he'll transform us from the inside out, that he'll transform our thinking and our, in, in our lives. He's always, he always keeps his promises. Another thing I think that another takeaway is that Jesus is a real historical person. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't something, you know, a good story that we talk about and just to make ourselves feel better. Jesus is a historical person. This is rooted in history. And you look at the genealogy and it's, it's real. Another thing that I want us to latch on to is that the reason that uh, I think another major reason, and it goes back to that we need Christ all of us, no matter where we're at, is that Matthew wanted us to see that we can be included into Jesus' family line going out from him. So the, that genealogy takes us from Abraham to Jesus, but we get to be included in that family tree, in that family line, because of what, of, what Christ has done. And so I asked you this morning, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you come to him in repentance and faith? Is, is he the one you're looking to, to provide your salvation? Do you understand that as messed up as you are, God's grace is bigger than your hurts, your shame, your guilt? And if life is going well and things kind of have always just kind of fallen into place for you and the, the sun just seems to shine on you and, you know, you're, you're confident and you just got it together, um, do you know that you need Jesus as well, that, that you have sin as well? And the tremendous thing about Jesus' kingdom is that prostitutes and kings sit down as equals. And I think that's phenomenal because we're all sinners in need of God's grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your humble roots. That you were willing to keep God the Father, that you were willing to keep your promises that you made you made to Abraham, that you made to King David. We thank you for the genealogy that, that tells us your identity, Jesus, as the Messiah, and also tells us that no matter who we are, if we're a David or if we are a Tamar, that we need you and that you have come for us. Lord, may this be just the focus of our Christmas this year. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.